You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. As I have uh, gone through the week, uh, it's been an interesting week for us. We had two Celebration of Life services in one week, and for those who are visiting, that's just our what we call funerals. So this week, I, I had the sobering joy, the sobering pleasure of being present to celebrate the life of two of those in our family who have gone on to be with Jesus face to face. And then, of course, this week we hear about the tragedy in Oklahoma and the tornado that strikes and the loss of life there. Albeit, we praise God that the loss of life wasn't as great as they thought. We grieve with families at the loss of life that just simply was. Lives that were not older in their years, like Sister Ruth and Brother George, who went to be with Jesus. But lives that were young and precious as well. And then we come to this weekend, and it's Memorial Day weekend, where we remember those who have gone on before us, who fought for something greater than themselves, so that we could have the freedom to gather here today and to live the lives that we live. And so I give God thanks for those men and women who sacrificed their lives for a greater purpose, but then I grieve at the reality of the fact that they had to sacrifice their lives. So it's been a very interesting week for me, personally, as I found myself in this sort of deep, deep uh, reflective place where I've really thought about my life maybe more this week than I did last week, and I hope I don't think about my life less next week than I did this week. But sitting in two services and two funerals, watching the tragedy unfold of the tornado, and then thinking about this weekend and what it means to our country can be a very sobering reality. And so my mind has been in a, different, a lot of different places, but it's been landing on this idea of reflection. And the one text that kept coming up to me uh, that I feel like we need to think about today in light of this weekend and in light of this week is this little verse in Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is Hebrew poetry. That is its genre. And so Ecclesiastes has a lot of poetic stroke to it. And, and it's this sort of hyperbole. There's a lot of extremes in Ecclesiastes. And it's very passionate. It's almost Shakespearean in its nature. And the person who wrote Ecclesiastes, scholars believe, was King Solomon. King Solomon was the wealthiest man who had ever lived on the planet. He was arguably the wealthiest king of Israel for certain. People say there's been none more wealthy than him. Not only that, he was the wisest man. People say that there is none that, who have lived a life as wise as he. Okay. And so on that note, I need to dismiss the children. That was just a random thing. Clifton was out there looking at me like, hey, you. So all the kiddos, uh, you go ahead and go with Clifton. Clifton will raise his hand. Man, I'm glad you said something. We didn't do this first service. You were all spared the pain. (laughs) Now you get to draw pictures of Clifton in class. (laughs) 
And so Solomon was considered the wisest to have ever lived. The scripture says there would not be one before him and there was not one after him. And so history doesn't really try to press into any of that. And so Solomon, we're just, we're going to accept the scholarly understanding that Solomon actually wrote the right, uh, wrote Ecclesiastes, this incredible poem of life. Now, in the text, the writer reveals himself as a teacher or a preacher. So not only is this Hebrew poetry, there's a message here as it was written to a son. And he wants to teach us something about life. And so I want to encourage you all to listen. And listen to a lesson about life. Life even in the midst of sacrifice and even in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of death. The writer of Ecclesiastes comes to this one verse that stuck with me all week. It says this in Ecclesiastes 7 beginning verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. Encouraging stuff, isn't it? Have a good day. (laughs) Not going back to that church. It's a sobering text, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to say, what the teacher is trying to help us see. And I think the teacher is saying, when, when we find ourselves in the attendance of death, we find ourselves thinking about life in a way that maybe we didn't before. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher says, you know, it, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a, to a bunch of parties, to a house of feasting. It's better even to grieve than to laugh. Because maybe what the teacher realizes is that our parties would be a lot grander if we would understand the reality of our lives and death. That maybe our laughter would be a lot deeper and louder and longer if we understood the reality of grief. It's only when we begin to take for granted these things that we fail to experience the beauty and the depth of them. But if you're going to understand this in its grander scale, you've got to understand what the writer or what the teacher is trying to help us all see. And so in Ecclesiastes 1, in this incredibly inspiring poetic letter, the writer says this. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem... Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a man gain for all his efforts? He labors at under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind. And the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place, and they flow there again. All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no memory of those who came before And of those who will come after, there will also be no memory among those who follow them. I can't decide if this poem has a 
more of a Shakespearean tone or a Dr. Seuss kind of flair, but it certainly has a Shakespearean theme. This is art that we are sitting before in this text. And it's a little depressing because it's like the teacher looks around at life and says, it's all meaningless. Some of your translation says meaningless, some says vanity, some says futile. I prefer the Hebrew word. See, the Hebrew word for futile or meaningless or vanity is this really power-packed word. The word is hevel. The writer, the teacher is saying, hevel. It's all hevel. Absolute hevel. See, because when the writer, when the teacher chose the word hevel, hevel literally means like a puff of smoke. He's like saying, life is like a puff of smoke. You see it, you smell it, you can be enveloped by it, but you can't grab it. You can't take it and put it in your pocket. You can't put it in a bottle. You can't hold on to it. It's hevel. It's it's like smoke. See, so many of us are are trying to grab on to life. You even go to, to Target or to some of these stores and buy your little refrigerator magnets that say, hold on to life. Or take hold of life. Or like, love, live, and laugh. And you drink your coffee, holding on to life. Not realizing you can't grab on to life. It's all hevel. It's like a cloud of smoke. It's there. You can smell it. You can be engulfed by it. You can see it from a distance, but you can't grab hold of it. And so many of us have fallen into the notion that life is just something we can grab onto. That we can grab hold of it and we can own it and we can put it in our pocket and save it maybe for another day. Or maybe we can bottle it and save it for next week. And the teacher says, it's all hevel. Life is hevel. You feeling inspired yet? Because maybe the teacher wants us to see that many of us are trying to grab hold of the wrong things. And if you ever doubt that, go to a few funerals and you'll see. You'll hear in the testimonies of lives that some lives were lived for the wrong things, grabbing hold of the wrong things. But then you'll go to some funerals and you'll hear about some lives that were were lived to hold on to the right things. And the tragedy of it is many of you, guests and member of our community of faith, are trying to grab on to life. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, it's all hevel. You're just holding on to something you can't even hold on to. And as if that wasn't inspiring enough, we go to chapter 2, verse 4. And in his attempt to hold on to life, this rich and wise king says, verse 4, I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. Actually, there's a key word called myself in all of this. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines to the lights of men. Thus I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. And he had the means. 
I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. It's like the, like the teacher is saying, hey, I, I had all this. I earned all of this. This is my reward. I, I worked all those hours. I worked all those years. Or maybe he's saying, I was brought up as a poor wayward child, even though we know he wasn't, and I broke the cycle of poverty. This is my due. This is what's due me. These are my rights, we would say. It's my right. I live in the land of the free. And I can do with it what I please and how I please. And I have all these houses and all these things. I even have, a, even have singers who sing to me and have all the women I could ever desire. And yet he turns around and he still says in verse 11, When I had considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be hevel and the pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Because I'm reading it thinking, I'd like to give it a try. <laughs> give me the houses, the vineyards and the gardens and the singers, the bands. But it was as though he came home and, and all he could think about is all this beauty and all this glory and all this grand things. And he had the means to get it all, but he just says it was all heaven. And the tragedy is, many of us are living our lives as though it's not heaven at all. As if it's about the houses and the cars and the relationships, even good things. And we stake our claim and our life in them. As if it's not hevel. As if it's not a puff of smoke. And then we find that the teacher wasn't very fond of his job. Verse 18, he said, I hated all my work. Finally, I'm I surprised I didn't get some amens on that one. At which I labored under the sun because I must leave it to a man who comes after me. And this, this guy be more depressed. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is hevel. It's like Downton Abbey. This is heaven. I got to leave it all to these people. I mean, I'm going to work hard all that I accomplished just to leave it to forest. Just to leave it to somebody who may not even take it to heart, who may just use it, squander it, or spend it. He says, This is heaven. This is futile. And he says, So I began, verse 20. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work I had labored at under the sun. But there is a man whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but he must give his portion to a man who's not worked for it. This too is hevel and a great wrong. For what does a man get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors with under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is heaven. It's like I go to work all day, and I think about all the things. I want to make my family happy and give my wife a larger house and make sure my kids can go to a good school for higher education. And so I, I try to work my way up the corporate ladder and get there from here. And I work 70 hours a week, maybe 80 hours a week. Maybe I just work 50 hours a week because I need to provide for my family because that's what I'm supposed to do. And then I come home, and I'm so worn out and tired from work. And then all I'm really thinking about is my work because of what i got to do tomorrow. That's what he's saying. 
He says, and I realize that it's just all hevel because all the stuff I'm working for is going to go to somebody else anyway. Either it's taken from me and given to somebody who hasn't earned it. Sound familiar? It's all hevel. But how many of us are living that way? Like it's not hevel. Like that's life. Life defines me. Work defines me. Instead of living to work, we... Instead of working to live, we live to work and we wonder why our lives are filled with emptiness or maybe we just find ourselves in this perpetual loop that we can't get out of. Maybe because we won't listen to the teacher. We're too busy in the house of feasting to step into the house of mourning long enough to realize what life is really about in the first place. And if you're me, you don't go through a week like last week and have that luxury. So he says, there is an occasion for everything. And he begins to write a song for the birds and the beetles and Don Williams. And there's a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search, and a time to count as lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to to tear, and a time to sow, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? So when you read that text in light of its context, he's not making a a new song for us to sing. He's saying, every cause has an effect. Every effect has a cause. And it's always extreme. And I live in this world of constant extremes. That there's a time to live, then there's a time to die. There's a time to grow, and there's a time to tear down. There's a time to love, and it seems like in the world there's a time to hate. And he's like, so where does it all matter? Where does it all come to a meaningful place? Where does it all come to a meaningful end? What does a man have for all his struggles? He says in verse 10, I've seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. He's made everything appropriate in its time. He's also put eternity in their hearts, but man cannot discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. There's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that all God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is, has already been, and whatever will be, already is. God repeats what has passed. And there we finally have it. The teacher gets to his point. And he says this. What I've discovered in this life called Hevel is that you really just have to do this. Enjoy the things that do not last and live for the things that do. But too many of us are living for the things that don't last. 
We're living for the jobs and the careers and the college educations and the, and the houses and, the, and all the different things and our taxes and all our money, all of this. We're living for it. And, and the writer, the teacher is saying, no, 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 don't stop living for the things that don't last and just start enjoying them. Enjoy the things that don't last. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have a wonderful and glorious life and time. Just make sure that you do so living for the things that do last. And he throws God in the center of all of that and he says, because it's all, it's all got to land at this understanding of God. It's because many of us could hear that, enjoy the things that don't last and live for the things that do and think, well, that's what I'm doing. That's why I've got the cars and the boats and the houses and, the, and I participate in the sin and the pleasures because I'm just enjoying life. Life is good, got my t-shirt. The tragedy of that is you're so self-unaware of what life really is. Then, And we didn't hear the words of the teacher for almost three chapters before he finally landed in any kind of hopeful place at all. See, many of us, many of us will not take the time to see what kind of life we've really lived each day. See, what I mean is when you lay your head down on your pillow at night and you trace back your decisions and your actions and your thoughts or the things you didn't do or the things you didn't think or the things you didn't say, everything you do, everything you didn't do will trail back to a throne. And on that throne will sit something And it will either be work and career, it will be your wife or your husband, it will be your children, or it will be meaning, or it will be some sort of deceived form of obeying God, or it will be be just Jesus. But it will be something. Something will sit on that throne. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes, what the teacher is trying to say is that it's all hevel. Make sure what sits on your throne is the thing that lasts. Make sure what you're living for is the thing that lasts. And so he writes on, and we find him in Ecclesiastes 11. And he says in verse 1, Send your bread on the surface of the waters, for after many days you may find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For... For you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. If the the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. So in the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. He is saying, instead of watching and waiting and setting up your life in such a way that says, well, I'll get serious with my faith when, or I'll start loving my neighbor, you know, when, or I'll do this thing when. He says, don't stare at the rain, waiting for the rain to come and the clouds to roll in. The people who stare at that, 
That's just all they do. They never sow. He says, no, when you wake up, you sow seed. You just do it. You don't wait. You don't set your life up to say, well, I'll say that to my, to my loved one when, or I'll seek reconciliation and forgiveness with that person when the time is right or when I whatever. He's saying, no, no, don't do that. that. That's not what you do. Invest your life. If you do that, then you're spending your life or you're wasting your life. He's saying, if you want to invest your life, then in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not let your hand rest because you don't know which will succeed. You don't know what God is up to. You don't know what he's going to bless and what he's not so instead of just waiting for life to happen you go out and live it enjoy the things that don't last your relationships in those things because they won't last at some point you're going to sit in a funeral service of somebody you love and so don't wait for that don't sit there and think that well I'll just give my boss all I've got you know when I feel like giving it all my God he says no enjoy the work find joy in your work but just make sure you live for the things that do last Don't just wait for life to happen because it's happening to you and it's like a puff of smoke. It's all hevel. You get in the game and you go live life. And you give it all you've got because it may be all you have. See, it's one thing to think that Sister Ruth and Brother George who are older in their age And to sit in the funeral services of those who are older to think, man, I hope I grow up to be like them. It's another thing to hear stories of young lives lost in a tornado. It's like we we fail to live with the sober reality that we don't have tomorrow promised. We may sing a country song or two about it, but we ain't living it. What the teacher's trying to help us understand is that life is heaven. Your work, your house, your career, your dreams, your hopes, your kids' college education, heaven. Enjoy it. Just live for the things that last. Your car, your kid goes to Harvard but misses heaven, then you haven't done a doggone thing. Live for the things that last. And so he goes on and he says in verse 7, Light is sweet and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. For if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness, since they will be many. All that comes is heaven. Rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh, because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. So remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of adversity come and the years approach you when you say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light are darkened and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain. On the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, the women who grind cease because they are few. And the one who watches through the windows see dimly and the doors at the sun are shut while the sound of the mill fades. When one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also, they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. The almond trees blossoms, the grasshoppers lose its spring, and the caper berry has no effect, for man is heading to his eternal home. In other words, all of this poetry is just an image of aging. 
He is saying you enjoy your life while you have life before you get to a point where you are too old to enjoy your life. And then he goes on, but he says, but even when you're old, still enjoy your life. And he says in verse 12, but beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books and much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. When all has been explained and when all has been fleshed out, when all of life has been put to to words, when I've considered all that life is really about and that it's all really hevel, even when I consider the, the, the message, my son, he says, to enjoy the things that don't matter, but just make sure you live for the things that do, know this, it all boils down to this. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, Fear God and keep his commandments, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. My question for you is the question that I have been considering all week. Will you live your life in such a way that you finish your life well? Hear me, church. Will you live your life in such a way that you finish your life well? But not well as in the way the world defines it. A man who left his child all of this wealth and all of these glorious things. Or a man or woman who set their families up for all the stuff. Or a family who just loves one another. As good as that may be. That's not the well that I am asking. Will you finish your life well? And faithfulness, and truth, and passion for the glory of the King. Or to put it this way, we'll read the text that comes from a man who was going to finish his life well very soon. His name was Paul. And he wrote to a young man. Wanting this young man to know what the teacher was trying to say just in different words. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Now you, man of God, run from these things. And you can read what these things are, the sins and the pleasures and all the deceptive things that you think are worth living for. He says, run from these things and pursue, pursue rightness, Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life. Notice he says take hold of eternal life. Many of us are trying to just take hold of life and it's hevel. And he's saying, no, no, take hold of the life that actually isn't hevel. Eternal life. You can hold on to that one. Take hold of that to which you recall and have made a good confession before many witnesses in the presence of God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. I charge you to keep the commandment without blame and spot until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only one has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light from whom none of mankind has seen and can see, to whom be honor and eternal might. Amen. So instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth or things or stuff, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy 
Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the age to come. And listen to this. So that they may take hold of a life that is real. You want to hold on to a real life? then it's actually very simple. Learn to give your life away. Learn to give it away. If you can't give away the coat, then the coat owns you. If you can't give away the 20, then the 20 owns you. If you can't give rid of the sin, then the sin owns you. If you can't love your neighbor, then the hatred of neighbor owns you. No matter how deceived you and I may think we are, how many church services we come to, how much communion bread we eat, and communion drink we drink, at the end of the day, God calls us. He says, I want you to enjoy the things that don't last, but you got to live for the things that do. And if you want to know what that looks like, then you pursue faithfulness, you pursue rightness. In a world where there's a lot of wrongs, you be about making them right. You do generous things. You be rich in good works. You give your life away. And if you learn to give your life away, then you will have taken hold of a life that is real. And you'll finish well. See, because in learning to give our lives away, that's the closest we come to following Jesus. Because he sure gave his away. What does it look like to give it away? Start with the things you don't want to. And start investing in the things that last forever. Don't work so hard to get your kid to Harvard that they miss heaven. Don't think that it's because the church this or the church doesn't or the church that. or That's you. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Inside of your home. What you decide to do with his work and his conviction is on you and me. But the power and the ability to do so is on you and me. We have it inside of us. The only question is, what are we going to set our lives for? Are you going to live for the things that don't last and somehow deceive yourself into thinking that you're living for the things that do? Are you going to do what we have to do when we sit in funerals and when we sit and we look at tragedies in the world where we finally sit down and we're sober enough to say, you know what, I've actually been living for my life, living my life in the wrong way. I haven't been enjoying the things that don't last as much. I haven't laughed as much. I haven't had as much joy in my heart. I'm too intense. I'm too this. I'm too that. I need to enjoy the things that don't last. I enjoy me some banana pudding. It's not going to last very long, but I'll enjoy it. I enjoy a good cup of coffee with a good friend. I enjoy, joy the sweet embrace of my little boy and my wife. I enjoy being with you, but I'm not living for those things. I'm going to live for the things that last. And you know what those are. And if you struggle to know, and you read that first Timothy chapter 6, Verse 17, verse. And you just give your life away. And then maybe we will take hold of a life that is real. And it won't be hevel after all. Let's pray.